We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have on the program today, Jose Celis. Jose, welcome to Transformative Principle. Uh, th- thank you so much. This is such a such a pleasure to be on the on the show with you. I'm really excited to to share my stories. Well, thank you. I'm excited to have you. Can you just start out by telling us a little bit about your professional career, where you're at now, and what you're doing, and uh, kind of some interesting things about how you got there? Sure. So currently, I am an elementary school principal in New Jersey. I've been here in the school for eight years now. Uh, Before this, I was out in Illinois. I was an assistant principal in a middle school and then in the principal of one of the elementary feeder schools. uh, That district was predominantly um, an immigrant community, Mexican. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Probably one of the most progressive, forward-thinking communities that I've ever been part of. Before that, I was a bilingual ESL teacher and and a Spanish teacher. I found my way to education. The the reality, the honesty, is because I hated lesson planning. I I love teaching. I love spending time with the students and with uh, their families. 
lesson planning was just soul crushing in a lot of ways. I just didn't like investing that way. Um, I became a school leader and I just love the role. It allows me just the opportunity to be creative, to, to be innovative, and to really just partner with all the different stakeholders and really think creatively on how we can uh, support students from, from all diverse backgrounds. I, I love that you hate doing lesson planning. I do too. I've always <laughs> hated that. And it was the worst part of being a teacher, to be honest. Yeah, I wanted to be with the kids and and work on the problems that they were facing and what they were struggling with, not necessarily try to force them into whatever I thought they needed at the time, which, you know, I was usually a pretty bad judge of that. And I think we all are, <laughs> you know, so... Well, it, it was that. I also had a really strict administrator in my first job. And he required these like five page lesson plans every week. And I'll be honest, I was spending more time lesson planning than I was like really thinking about what I was teaching. Um, it was like making sure that his forms were completed on time. So I just didn't I didn't get into any more trouble. I did plenty of that myself. Yeah, exactly. And you also got a master's degree in biblical and theological studies. It's interesting because I see education as all learning is spiritual. And so mm. it's an interesting tie in there that you uh, got your master's in that as well. Oh, completely. And I think that was probably one of, the, one of the most important degrees I've ever I've ever completed. After teaching, I was a Spanish teacher for two years and I had the opportunity to go back to my undergraduate uh, institution, Wheaton College, and they offered, uh, you know, a full ride scholarship to complete their biblical theological studies program. My wife and I took the, the opportunity. We actually thought of going overseas and being missionaries, training pastors in Latin America. But as fate would have it, after I completed that, that program, I realized my, my heart was really in schools. I, you know, working in the church and, you know, for the church just didn't really satisfy me the way I thought it was going to. I mean, I found my way, and that's when I became a bilingual ESL teacher, and I just loved it. Mm. But I think that the reason why that degree was so important, it gave me the purpose, right? It helped me understand the why of education. So during those two years, I did a lot of research in liberation theology. And it just really, you know, when I, all of a sudden, when I started looking at the world through a different paradigm, when you start looking at the world through the idea of institution and institutional sin and understanding how institutions were creating the conditions that helped some people in oppressive conditions, which institutions were, you know, kind of allowed and maintained power dynamics. I'm like, it just, it just began to make sense. And honestly, I've been building on that, uh, that foundation all along. Right now, I'm actually in a PhD program. I just finished my, my last uh, class in the coursework, so now I get to write the dissertation. And the focus is going to be on restorative justice. But I feel like all these different topics um, that we're going to talk about today, right, liberation theology and uh, restorative justice and inclusion were, are, are all so intimately connected and inform how I approach uh, school leadership. Yeah, that is that is really fascinating. And one of the things that you talked about before was looking at your community as three concentric circles. Can you explain mm -hmm. that idea uh, to us so that we can understand what you mean by that? Sure. I had the opportunity to to come back to New Jersey. Uh, I actually applied to this school on a whim. I remembered growing up, I grew up nearby, near where I work now. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Wayne sounds like a great town. And I applied, and I, little did I know how amazing the environment was going to be. 
So the school I work at right now is actually the best way I describe it and the way I describe it to all one that doesn't know us is three concentric circles. So the first and the, the so where the school is located is the lake community. And these these are, you know, these are really affluent families. These are the power brokers. These are people that really wield a lot of influence in the town. Outside of that, you have a lot of blue-collar, white-collar workers, just your traditional, you know, run-the-mill, um, everyday Americans. And then the outside circle are the programs that we bus into our school. So we also have the ESL program, English as a Second Language program for our part of the district, and a self-contained uh, special education program. And that creates really interesting dynamics in the school, especially when, you, when we started focusing on this idea of inclusion. How do we create and foster authentic relationships and friendships amongst all these different groups that traditionally tend to um, isolate themselves from one another? One of my goals is to really create this authentic inclusion in our building where students are learning how to value one another, learning how to value um, their con- each, each, indiv- each individual's contributions. Yeah, really learning how to live in a very diverse, complicated, and beautiful world. What I love about that visual that you've created is that probably anybody listening to this right now could likely identify three different groups within their school that could create some natural silos where the, mm-hmm. the kids wouldn't necessarily get together. The parents wouldn't necessarily get together. And what you've done is is created as a single silo, which is your school, with with divisions in inside of that. And so instead of seeing it as something that that says these are three separate circles that are like drawing circles on a page and away from each other, these are things that that we all have in common. First, that we all go to the school mm-hmm. and we're all part of this community. But then we can start blurring those lines between the the circles, the barriers that were already established. And this is a, a real issue that schools all over the, the world have a problem with is that we have we have these divisions that don't necessarily need to be there. And we put them there because that is how it's comfortable for us or, or something like that. And it doesn't have to be that way. And what I appreciate about this approach and, you know, the inclusion and restorative justice that we're going to talk about is that you see it not as those are dividing lines, but that those are simply the lines that exist that we need to then work to erase. Is that a fair way to summarize that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think, you know, and I like what you were saying, because I, I... It is it is ubiquitous, right? Across the world, across this country, there it, there is this this sense or this the process of of the way we organize ourselves into different groups, right? The in groups, out groups, and they take different forms depending on your community. You know, at our school, it just happened to be, you know, based on the population, you have the self-contained population that was isolated from the general education population that was isolated from the ESL population as well, these immigrant students, students that didn't speak English, and it, and it creates a lot of tensions. So they required a lot of intentionality, and I think that people sometimes don't recognize all the work that goes into inclusion. It doesn't just happen you know, naturally, it's by design, and the teachers are so invested in helping, helping restructure the way that students relate to one another. But it really started with us understanding how we perceived and how we understood who the kids were, right? Because accidentally maybe you know unconsciously we we were kind of reinforcing some of these some of these structures the way that the students were self-segregating 
So it really required initially for us to begin to do some reflective work, identify the structures, the practices in our school community that were reinforcing segregation and then beginning to identify, you know, creatively some strategies to begin to create opportunities for students to get to know one another and get to uh, and learn how to value one another. Well, and that segregation that you're talking about is not just along racial lines, but also when you have a a special ed population that is in a self-contained area, that is a natural segregating point that that forces those kids to be seen as different and separate from everyone else. And in fact, just uh, two episodes ago on this podcast, I interviewed Chloe, who is a, a college student now. She has cerebral palsy, and her perspective on what school was like for her growing up was just fascinating. And mm-hmm. it it can be difficult to understand what she's saying because she's she's trying really hard and she has this disability that prevents her from speaking what is really on her mind. But what's so amazing is that when she was in a place where she felt, and this is what she said, I asked her if there are any principles that made an impact on her. And she said that the principal that made the most impact on her was her principal, her senior year of high school, because he was the first one who saw her as a person first and mm-hmm. as someone with a disability second. And I mean, I just got to say, like, imagine going until you're almost 18 years old and finally, for the first time, meeting someone who sees you as a person first, who's in a position of authority in the school. And I Mm. mean, her story is just so inspiring because she was able to persevere despite the obstacles that were placed in front of her. Right. And it it shouldn't have to be that way. These are children. Like, Mm -hmm. we should have places where every child feels and experiences authentic belonging, love, they are valued. And I think that oftentimes, like, I mean, I think about my own experience, and I think that's what informs, like, my my vision for the school community that I, you know, this uh, this vision for my school community. It's both having experienced exclusion. I was an immigrant student, came to the United States when I was six years old, had a hard time really understanding what was happening, but, you know, ultimately came to realize, like, yeah, I was feeling the sense of, like, you know, I, I didn't feel like I belonged. I was, I, I felt there were certain practices, even though my, I believe my teachers loved and cared about me, and I believe my teachers were good, the structure of schooling didn't really work for me. I remember having and knowing and not really knowing intimately or personally, but having uh, students, uh, you know, with different disabilities in my school. And I remember laughing, you know, at different times um, at them, not with them, at them. And, 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 and now as an adult being embarrassed by this and really saying, like, I, I don't want this to happen anymore. And now as a school leader, I have an opportunity to begin to change some of these patterns and creating a, uh, creating a space where everyone is valued for who they are and where kids have the opportunity to learn from and about each other in a safe and supportive environment. Yeah, a lot of things, personal experiences inform who I've become, but also just those things, those experiences that still in a, some, in a lot of ways haunt me because I'm not proud of the, the things I did or who I was as a, as a child. And I want to do something differently now. I want to, I want to create a different type of community. Yeah. When you are able to look back on how you were as a young person and make changes that are making the world better for those coming after us, I think that is so mm-hmm. admirable and so noble and definitely something that we want to continue encouraging and and helping people do. 
John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. So let's talk about what inclusion looks like uh, for you at your school now. And when we say inclusion education, we're usually talking about including kids from special ed, but I'm guessing that that means a little bit more in your school than just including kids that have special needs. Yeah, definitely. So inclusion for us, right, it, it definitely touches upon every aspect of schooling for us in terms of how do we create this environment where students have the opportunity to learn with each other and learn about each other in a safe and supportive environment. Um, and it's more than just the academic focus. It's, it's the social emotional focus as well. Um, so we really look at creating, um, so having this vision of inclusion saying um, everyone is valuable, everyone has a voice, everyone belongs. How do we, how do we not just model this, but how do we help all our students learn that this is something that they need to value as well, so that this is a community, this is a community value, part of our DNA. So we've really looked at um, every aspect of our schooling, uh, every aspect of our, our school building to really think about how does inclusion happen? Um, so, you know, when I, when I came into the building eight years ago, um, one of the first things we did was, of course, moving the, the, the self-contained classrooms into their grade level appropriate wings. So whereas before they were isolated, they were all next to each other in one corner of the building, um, we really became, we moved, we moved teachers around to make sure that there was a place for them and a space for them. Um, so that, um, yeah, so that the, the physical layout of the building supported this vision. We began looking at what were the opportunities for authentic inclusion and identifying new opportunities for, for that to happen. So we developed an after-school program in collaboration with the, uh, the PTO where students uh, could spend an hour after school doing fun, engaging activities. Um, but the goal of it really was to create these opportunities for kids to spend uh, time with each other outside of the traditional academic program to, to learn how to, to learn how to, you know, kind of cohabitate in the world. Um, now, one of the, one of our big initiatives right now is co-teaching and really looking at opportunities for um, mainstreaming and for um, mainstreaming in, in across the grade levels so that students are learning with each other. Um, that's what it's been really challenging just because of um, the work that has to go into, into teaching. So really working with teachers to understand the models of co-teaching, but also um, also really embrace this vision for inclusion. Um, what I say to them is that, you know, the work that we're doing doesn't get any easier. We just get stronger. We get better at this. Um, and it's just really kind of amazing to see how these different dynamics have really begun to reshape 
the culture of our community. Um, you know, oftentimes when I when I saw inclusion in, in other settings, it was always these isolated events, celebrations, um, you know, um, something special and out of the ordinary. Um, and then in between, you, you had this vacuum. Um, and I was actually, honestly, I was really inspired by neighboring districts. Um, I, we heard about this district called Berkeley Heights in New Jersey. And we had a teacher that was connected to them. And we went to visit their program and I was just blown away. Students with physical disabilities, students with um, emotional, behavioral, academic learning disabilities, um, sitting right next to their gen ed peers and they're all able to work together in this really amazing dynamic environment. Um, all the right supports and resources are provided to the students and the, to the teachers to make sure it's successful. And when I saw it, I'm like, this is what I want. Um, this is what I want for my students. This is what I want for my community. Um, just because I saw the, the full and authentic integration of, of all these different, um, all these members of the community, and they were able to be successful with each other. Um, and it was just really a powerful experience. And it's something that we've been working towards um, for the last, like I said, eight years. Well, I, I love that example because when, when you mentioned the times to get together were one-offs and mm-hmm. you know, celebrations or whatever, that that's not really inclusion. That's that's including somebody, sure, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not starting in the same place as everybody else, and it's not mm-hmm. starting with with making sure that we are together first, and then pulling yeah. away when when that's the one off, when that's the the random thing that's happening, and you know, so so being able to to bring that into fruition is really powerful, and I think especially the idea of you taking your uh, classrooms and rearranging them and making it so that kids were in appropriate grade level bands um, instead of being, you know, the special ed wing way over there, that, that, that's a big signal to everybody that this is what we really believe. And it, it, to be honest, it makes it harder for teachers to, um, to push back against that. It makes it harder for kids to not be engaged in that process because you're putting it right there in front of them. And you're saying, this is what we believe, not just what we say we believe, but what we're actually doing to make sure that there is a physical space that represents, this is what we believe. And that Jose is really, really powerful. Oh, it it was. And it's so exciting to see the transformation that happens with the students when they start uh, internalizing these values. And I have, there's just this one story that I always tell to to highlight the possibility, um, but also just the the reality. Um, Every year, our fifth graders um, get together with uh, the other two feeder schools that that will all go to the same middle school. We get together and go to camp. And we were at camp this one year. And I remember being on the blacktop. And, um, you know, that year we had this amazing student, so kind, so generous, um, and, you know, uh, he, he would often, but he was also that, you know, that, that student that would, uh, that liked to give hugs, um, and, you know, sometimes too many hugs. Uh, anyway, he went up to this one girl who was very popular, who was very, you know, everyone liked, and, um, he came up to her and he said, hug, and she said, sure, and they hugged, and then, he said, hug again. And she's like, no, just one. That's okay. And he said, okay. And he walked away. 
Um, and that was and that was great to see that dynamic, that interaction. But what was really powerful was right afterwards, some students from the other schools went up to her and they I remember hearing one of them say, ew, why would you let him touch you? And her response, and it still like brings tears and like, you know, it's just it's beautiful. She's like, that's my friend. And that's what we do. And it's and it was just this the, the confidence but also just the realization that, right, that he is an equal member of our community. Sure, he may, you know, behave differently, um, but we've all learned how to, and we've, yeah, we learn how to adapt to a new way of being, right? So we're not asking him, it was never asking for him to assimilate into mainstream society. It was saying, we're going to create something new together. We're going to create a new way of being, a new way of relating to each other. And when other people that don't understand ask us, we're going to have the confidence to kind of show them, not just tell them, but show them what's possible. And I think it was just a beautiful example of what inclusion can do for, for our communities and for our students when they begin to internalize these values, because honestly, that's the world they're going to inherit, right? They're going to inherit a world that's beautiful and diverse and complex and complicated. And the sooner we give them the tools to learn how to manage that and negotiate relationships, the better off they're going to be. And I know we're talking a lot about uh, special education, but the same honestly was true for our ESL population. Uh, In our town, the majority um, of students are actually Muslim. Um, which, you know, and it, yeah, definitely, especially, you know, in the, the 2000s, it, it, it's been complicated. It's been complicated because of the animosity, because of the vitriol that is directed toward that community. And we've really had to be thoughtful in terms of how to create a, a, an environment where Muslim youth feel, once again, accepted and, and, and valued for who they are, especially in light of all the, the political and, um, yeah, the, the, the rhetoric that's happening around them. Um, and it's been challenging. It was always cha- it was challenging at times, especially when there were um, in the news a lot of situations that um, painted the Muslim community in, in, unfavorable, in unfavorable ways. Well, and I... I, I love that you made that connection because that's the thing that I've always um, that I've always harped on is that if you can have the appropriate relationships between kids with special needs and kids without special needs, um, or the appropriate relationships with kids with different religions or races or whatever, then it makes the transference of those skills from one of those to the other and back and forth and all around so much easier because what you're really saying is, as you mentioned, that girl, she's, she, she saw that that student was part of her community and it's okay. And this is how we act. And what's so good about that is that when these other opportunities come along for them to say, Oh, why were you talking to that kid who's black and Mm -hmm. that's gross. And no, it's not gross. It's totally fine. We're part of the same community. Why are you talking to this fill in whatever other issue you may have? And then you can get past that because this is how we interact in our Mm -hmm. community. And a couple of things that I really loved about that, the story with the girl and the hug is one, the boy was asking for a hug, which is, you know, uh, an important thing to do and something that all kids can benefit from asking permission Mm -hmm. before they get in somebody else's space Two, she was able to have good refusal skills to say, no, just one Mm -hmm. is fine. And he could be fine with that. And that doesn't turn into a, 
into something more than, ew, gross, you're hugging me too much or something like that. It becomes an appropriate way for people to tell other people where my boundaries are. And that's also something that we need to continue to work on and develop as a society. And and I just love those stories of of how that can happen and that it's not as difficult as as it may sound, that when you are inclusive, many other problems go away as well. Definitely. But there's a lot of intentionality behind all those stories too, because, you know, that girl had, you know, there was a lot of opportunities for her to practice that, right. And in, in our every day um, um, throughout the year where she learned how to manage both her own feelings and also the other students' feelings how she learned how to advocate for herself, but also recognizing that she had something to offer and give that other student. So I think that there's like a lot of planning that goes behind the scene that teachers are doing and reinforcing on a daily basis that allows the students to begin to internalize these skills. And I think that's where it's kind of amazing. And I know that we're like, you know, and, and, and I know that, I mean, this might be a great segue to talk about like why now we're talking about, why now I'm talking about restorative justice. Um, because I feel like restorative justice gave me a bigger umbrella to understand all the dynamics that are happening in a school and begin to create that, you know, um, we have a, a consultant that works with us, Dr. Tom out of Colorado State, and he always talks about this idea of the culture of care. Like, how do we create a culture of care in our school institutions, recognizing the poss- all the possible ways that students, that teachers, that individuals can be hurt? Um, And it's really been something that we've been really kind of reflecting on, um, learning about and and trying to figure and and finding, yeah, finding ways to be able to um, implement the the values and the principles of restorative justice in, in an authentic way in our school community. The idea that everyone belongs, that everyone is valuable, um, practices that really reinforce listening to understand and not listening to to argue, which is so countercultural to our to our school communities, right? We're always fighting over ideas and who's right. Um, restorative justice has really created a, a different type of dynamic in our, in you know, that can create a different dynamic in our school communities. I think this is something that we're working towards. Um, but really, how do we begin to see um, all the relationships and all these dynamics and really thinking through how do we how do we create an environment where all students feel valued, feel um, know that once again, experience belonging um, and that our values are, you know, the principles guiding and informing our work really are, are aligned to this idea of helping students become um, fully who they are meant to be as human beings. And respecting them enough to know that they get to determine what that thing is that they become. And, and this is where, where I love that what you're saying about you, um, this culture of care, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Culture of care. Yeah. Yeah. So the culture of care becomes, we care about each other and we, you matter to us. And so inclusion and restorative justice, I mean, I think it, it, it's a perfect segue into that, that once you start including people, you now want to start um, making sure that the way you're dealing with learning and bad decisions is, is in a way that actually makes the whole entire, the whole entire community better because of how you're doing that. So, you know, going back to that girl with the hug situation, 
if she refused him inappropriately, that's a way for you to have the conversation with her about what appropriate refusal skills look like. And it's not that she's in trouble because she really isn't in trouble for that. She's, she's just learning how, and so much of our discipline issues in, in the past several years have become about getting kids in trouble when really it's just another thing that they need to learn. Oh my gosh, completely. And we're even seeing it as, you know, once again, what is the vision of our, our community um, has been in the past focused on assimilation. Um, how do we get everyone to be the same or operate in the same way? Um, and I think through inclusion and now through restorative justice, we're, ask, we're actually asking different questions about what does it mean to be community? And what does it mean to be a community in a diverse, you know, in a, uh, a, a community with diverse individuals? So the idea now is like, how do we create a space for everyone to be authentically who they are and who they're meant to be? And how does our space, how does our community evolve to allow for everyone to be, um, in a sense, be different and not be afraid or, or, um, to, to try to assimilate individuals into, into some kind of homogeneous um, community. Um, it's really hard kind of acknowledging that, we, that there are these differences, that we value these differences, um, and that we actually prize these differences um, because it's really complicated when we, are, when we have to negotiate relationships, negotiate communication, or negotiate so many different dynamics in the school environment when we're coming from it from different cultural or um, gendered or different, you know, just uh, ethnic perspectives. Uh, how do we create this environment where everyone belongs and everyone feels um, acceptance just because of who they are, not because of how well they fit in? And how well they fit into something that is nearly impossible to fit in, which is to please everybody, which you just can't do. And yeah, I think that that's really great. Um, so in closing, Jose, this has been a great conversation. I think we could probably have you back on the podcast again in the future. Um, the, the last, yeah, the last question I ask is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? Hmm. Wow. That's a really, that's a really great question. Um, wow. I wish I was more prepared for that one, <laughs> you know, because I feel, I feel like, I mean, who am I to get advice to? Like, I mean, principles, I, I, I really do think that it is, it is the most amazing and most complicated job in the world because we are stuck between all these different stakeholders and we're trying to, to manage and trying and, 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 and yeah, and thrive in these types of environments. Right. I think for me, the, the, the most important thing, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give myself advice because who am I to give somebody else advice? I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm qualified, but for me, it just, I think it's reminding me to remember what it, what is my, my goal? What's my vision? You know, what is that, that core that's driving my work and how do I continue to reflect and evaluate all my decisions based on that? So for us at Pines Lake, it's like, yeah, so how do I understanding, you know, knowing what I know about restorative justice right now um, and some of the values, how do I continue to ensure that every decision I make, whether it is a phone call with a, you know, with a parent, whether that's a conversation with a teacher or an interaction with a student, 
um, is aligned to the values, my values and the values that are, that are, you know, kind of des- described in restorative justice, because I want to be, uh, I want to be authentic. I want to be coherent and authentic in, in everything that I do. And I think that that would be my encouragement to, to other principles, right? Let's continue to practice and reflect on, on, on our practice to make sure that we are um, authentic in, in what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, well, I think that that is great advice. And um, Jose, I want to say thank you again for being part of Transformative Principle. And thank you for sharing your experience and your wisdom with um, everybody today. Thank you so much. Oh, Jeff, I'll be honest. I had a blast and I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, I'm really just grateful for the work that you're doing, sharing these different stories. I think that there's so much that we can be and we should be learning from each other. So thanks so much for creating that uh, this platform and this opportunity for all of us to, to grow together. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy, and it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, FlexTime enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your FlexTime work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.